as markets are closed today in the service of the 4th of July holiday, hopefully you guys all had a very safe and blessed time with friends and family celebrating. Lots that we are going to focus on the Fontenelle Final Bell for today on this holiday trade as really where are we going? Think about this. How fast does demand fall? And how long does the market take to trade on that field? I'm wondering, is there going to be extra pressure on these soybeans this year, considering the numbers that we saw just this last week from the USDA? We know there was frost issues in Brazil. We know that there's definitely been weather issues here in the United States. Lots of things that we're going to focus on. We're going to bring in Mike Zuzalo, who's Global Commodity Analytics. And, and Mike, first of all, happy 4th of July to you guys. Happy Independence Day to you and all the great listeners of the Rural Radio Network. It's a, it's a real joy to celebrate this holiday season. Great to be holiday weekend as well. So much information came out at us before this three-day holiday weekend, especially after that Wednesday report from the USDA. And I think that's where we do need to start. How fast does demand fall? Well, I think the two years that I'm really focusing on right now, and, and you and I have talked about this pretty much for the last seven or eight months, I think, because we've had a very strong correlation and relationship between 2007, 2008, in 2011 and 2012, and I think the reason, and, and it's you know, I owe the listeners the reason why I'm going after those two years. It's because those two years, to me, had a lot of weather involvement of curtailing supplies and not as much demand. Although in 2007, 2008, we did have a very strong demand surge from China in the soy complex, and soybean oil was also a very strong leader. Uh, in the soy complex, and so there was demand in there, but I guess I'm not participating in the commodity super cycle boom that we hear a lot about right now, at least when it comes to the agriculture sector, uh, e even the grains and the livestock. I put them both in the same sector um, for not really participating in that, and the reason that is is because we're seeing prices go up at the at the retail level pretty dramatically um, for the food and energy, and, and I think if you're looking at a demand-led commodity super cycle like we had 10 years ago uh, when China was coming on board so strongly. Uh, that was really at the heart of what was happening was China was coming on board and we had demand-led uh, drivers in, in the market, whereas I think this time around it's supply. So having said that, corn tends to take a big hit on the demand side of the equation when it comes to those two crop years. Uh, corn exports from 07 to 08 dropped 24 percent. From 11 to 12, they dropped 52 percent. Soybeans not hit as hard, not as sensitive to this, and that makes sense because China's buying pattern over the last 10 or 12 years has been pretty consistent, and it's been a pretty nice 45-degree angle higher. Um, we did see about a 7.8 percent drop in crush uh, from 07 to 08 in, in soybeans, but exports for soybeans not hit nearly as dramatically as the corn, and this is in part why I always use uh, the wheat as my leader in the feed grains. So let's let's talk about the wheat because there's been a lot of delays in harvest this year. There's been, I mean, not every year is a perfect growing year, and I think this is a perfect example. But I also like the fact that wheat has stepped up to the plate to say, hey, we're a good feed substitute, look at us. And, and this is where I think the spring wheat market has not really been shown the respect until this past week. Uh, that, that it deserves when it comes to how bad bad is in the Northern Plains and Canada. And I think this is why, after the USDA report, I'm not nearly as negative. The soy complex 
because of, again, the, the vegetable oil, the canola in the northern plains, and, and also the, uh, the, the Canadian prairies, too. So I think this is where the wheat market, to me, as soon as we get to 50% harvested in winter wheat, I think the wheat market probably has a low in place, one, because of the spring wheat strength, and two, because I don't think those hard red wheat yields are quite what uh, traders and, and even producers that I work with we're expecting them to be. They've been great in some fields, but not so great in other fields. And I think I'm drawing the conclusion at this stage that we're probably not much better than a five-year average on yield. And, and USDA stuck up at around 50.7 for a national yield. So they've got plenty of fat in that yield number. And I think sometimes it's easy to, to pigeonhole ourselves into what's out our backyard and not looking at more of what's happening regionally and across the nation when it comes to these crops growing. Yeah, and I would even say globally, you brought up the Brazilian issue, and I don't, Susan, I don't think that's hardly been factored in at all in terms of the potential upside and 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 loss of supplies, um, and a potential upside in prices, unless the United States get a, gets a surprise rain next week in in that what I would call the golden triangle of Iowa, South Dakota, and Minnesota. But uh, the sources I have, especially one key source I talked to, I've been talking to almost on a daily basis this week. Uh, is estimating that the damage in Paraná province could be as much as 60 or 70 percent. There is a lot of corn out there in these provinces that have had day after day of freezes and frosts that is still tasseling, and I think it's gotten the attention of the market, but I don't think we've really priced it in. And, you know, when you talk about Brazil and you talk about USDA's 98.5 million metric ton corn production number, uh, it could be 10 million metric tons less than that, and that ends up being about 390, 395 million bushels less. So that's a big number. And so, yes, you're right. We don't even have just regional issues. We have global issues. I can say, though, as I, I drove to Kansas um, late last week, it was it was really nice to see some really nice-looking crops. The rains that came through were pretty timely, and, and hopefully that momentum will keep up for, for Midwest farmers. Yeah, and this is a really key point because I think this year, you know, I, I tend to really um, criticize and, and look very hard on, on some of the data that is put out by the government officials. But I think this year our Midwest drought monitors and our agriculture and drought monitors are keeping tabs very, very well with what I'm seeing. And it sounds like with what you saw as well. We saw the corn drought this week. We have a lot more coming up as we continue on this Fontenelle Final Bell on the 5th of July. You're listening to the World Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Again, markets are closed today in observance of the Independence Day holiday. So Mike Zuzalo is joining us. He's with Global Commodity Analytics. And we've been talking a little bit about the feels of this trade and the weather. But there's a lot of pressure that could build. Um, you were talking about the next three weeks. As we look at this trade, we look at the weather impact on our crops here in the U.S. And as we find out more about the damage in Brazil from the frost, how do we weigh all this in, try to keep the emotion out of it, but still market to the best profitability of our operation? Yeah, that, that's really going to be a tough one because I think we're going to experience historic volatility in this next time period if, if we do keep missing rains uh, in the United States, Susan. But I, I would say the first thing that I'll look at when it comes to this corn and the soybeans and the wheat and, and, and leave the macro markets out of it completely 
and, and assume that they're going to stay the same, which that's not going to happen, but let's assume that for a second. I think the biggest thing to watch is the July-September corn spread. That has been an excellent indicator this year to give us an idea of how tight we are on oil crop supplies. USDA's acreage base number of corn, even though the soybeans was a bigger surprise to me, it was not a surprise to me on the corn, but I think in the trade it was the exact opposite. I think they were much more surprised in the trade that the corn acreage stayed down, and especially down below 92.5 million acres. And so the July-September corn spread is running at almost $1.20 over. And notice what's been happening in the cash corn market as we've progressed from July as far as what elevators and end users are bidding off of against the September now. And, you know, just going down the list, Blair, Nebraska is $1.05 over now the September Davenport, Iowa, $1.12 over. Cincinnati at the Ohio River is $1.30 over. Cedar Rapids, $1.20 over. And Decatur, Illinois, and Central Illinois is $1.10 over. This is real indicative of the idea that the July futures price is more correct than in terms of what the cash market is than what the September futures price is. And so if these basis levels hold, throughout the next three weeks, it would make sense to me as July futures goes off the board, September needs to come up towards the July. And that's, I think, the rally that you sell into and hedge into, especially if you're a corn uh, corn hedger and, and a corn producer and you haven't gotten much on the books. I'll still do bought puts. I won't do a lot of cash sales because yield is still wide open. But uh, I think getting floors underneath you if the September goes up to the July is really important. I booked the last 50% of the next six months needs for corn uh, feed needs for cattle producers last week when we went back down to that 525 level, got it done around 540. And so I've got an average price with December call verticals, uh, bought call, sold call in December uh, for livestock producers, cattlemen especially, uh, at that 540 area in the new crop December in case that September really wants to rally on us here in the next couple, three weeks. So looking at, uh, and we've talked before about the dance that happens between grain and the livestock. And I know guys are really watching where their bottom line is going to be. Is there a certain time that we should be looking towards this late summer, early fall to make sure that we have stuff locked in as we head into the later fall months? Yeah, I mean, I still think that the December fat cattle market is rich at 134. In other words, that's where my overvalue level is. That's where I want to hedge for hedgers. Other than that, I would stay and keep my risk in the cash market and just stay current so that I wasn't feeding more expensive feed. And this is something I talked to a cattle conference uh, last week about down south of Kansas City. Um, We had it at a livestock auction barn, a really nice meeting, and supper meeting, and uh, quite a few people came out. And I think they understood uh, when I talked about the idea that if USDA's report was friendly for the corn and we continued to miss rains uh, last week, which we did, I think those that, that in, indicates and, and su- suggests to me especially, and I think the cattlemen understood this, that it's not just the corn price that's going to go up. It's going to be the hay, the alfalfa, the any, any feed and fodder associated with drought in those areas and associated with corn. Those are probably going to go higher, not lower here in the next three to four months. And I think it's really important I don't think there's a lot of downside in the fat cattle market, especially the futures market at this point, but I think that the the upside potential in the feed is what's going to continue to hammer us 
as as ranchers. And so, yes, there are levels that I want to hedge the the uh, up to the December contract uh, for fat cattle because of outside market conditions, especially and because of these high steak prices and high meat prices and high gas prices. But I think we're still a ways away from that. Lots of pressure all the way around for our producers, Mike. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Well, the best way is to sign up for a trial, and then we can talk, you know, after you look at some of the analysis that I put forth. Go to globalcomresearch.com. That's globalcom with two M's, research.com. Just go to the free trial site. All you need is your name, phone number, state, and email. And I'll send you a three-week trial. I'm extending that for the rural radio listeners right now. I'll, I'll put a three-week trial out and contact you again in that trial. All right. Thanks so much. Mike Suzalo has been joining us. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss are not suitable to all investors. That's the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the World Radio Network.